0: Well, we, uh, we finished a series last week that was a very important one, The Unchanging Truths. And uh, today we're going to uh, talk a little bit about uh, what it'd be, it be like and what we want um, the church to be and, and who will we love. And um, as I was uh, thinking about the message this week, I, I had a lot of thoughts about uh, what, what we could talk about and what could be said and I recognize that there's a lot of things happening in the United Methodist Church. And, and we're praying about that. And I want to encourage you that uh, through this week on Monday and Tuesday, as Pastor Pam has offered, uh, come to our upper room of prayer. It'll be open. Uh, there won't be any, like, formal uh, sit-down of time of prayer. But just come and go as the Holy Spirit leads you. You'll see some of us throughout the day praying there, too. And we'll have some time after uh, worship today uh, for those of you who can't come by through this week, but we also want to have some corporate prayer and to think about how we will uh, be a church of one and, and what that will look like and, and how we can continue to be faithful in loving God and loving neighbor and, and loving all. Well, I, uh, I have a friend, believe it or not, I have one. Um, <laughs> Uh, he can be a, a bit overwhelming. And uh, when I say overwhelming, um, he can be overwhelming because he asks some really uh, bad questions. And what I mean by that, and I think when I tell you, you'll go, like, man, I got a friend like that too. And uh, sometimes the questions he asks are, are really personal, and, uh, and sometimes I think they're, they're like bad questions, like, where'd you come up with that one? And, and some of those questions can really make, uh, make your head spin, and um, sometimes he'll fire off a question that makes me fidget a little bit. Now, it takes a lot to get me to fidget, but he's got this figured out um, and knows how to do that. And, and one of the uh, personal questions that he asked me was, he said, Bob, how in the world did you get a girl like Patty to marry you? And, uh, you know, I thought about that, and I thought, man, that is an obnoxious question. <laughs> I mean, that, that is just downright obnoxious. And, and uh, I'm thinking in my mind what he's really saying is, you know, how in the world would, would a, a catch like that, you know, be with you? And, and I kind of looked at him, I said, you know, that's, that's kind of obnoxious, and I'm just shocked that you'd ask me that question. Uh, well, when I first met uh, Patty, uh, I have to tell you that uh, I fell in love instantly. It took her a while. But uh, for me, it was, it was instant, and um, uh, fell in love, and, and we dated all through our senior year of high school. That's when we actually met. And uh, we dated through college. We went to the University of uh, Central Florida go nights. And um, so we, we, uh, we dated all through that, and a time had come in our relationship where, you know, where it kind of gets one of those ways of, are we just dating, or are we gonna be serious about this, right? So I, I thought about doing something really nice, and I, I thought about what can I do to separate myself from the, the rest of the herd, so to speak, and, um, and how, how can I uh, woo her to, to understand what it would be uh, for us to uh, have a commitment. And I thought in the back of my mind, too, that, that if she played her cards right, that maybe this could last, and uh, maybe, you know, she just might catch me. Um, so I decided I'd make her dinner one night, and um, I'm not a great cook, but I just decided I'd make dinner. And... And I invited her over, and she sat down, and we had this, this wonderful dinner, and, and she ate every bite, you know, every bite. And I thought, wow, that's really great. She, she's really catching on here. But then something just moved me. Have you ever had, like, the spirit just move you? Well, the spirit moved me, and I looked at her in her beautiful green eyes, and I said, Patty, the wife does the shopping. <laughs> and I said, the wife does the cooking. The wife does the cleaning up after dinner. The wife cleans up the house. And she looked right at me and she said, Bob, will you be my wife? <laughs> so I said, uh, I said is, is, is that a proposal? And uh, I said, yes, I'd be happy to be. You know, when I told that, I, I got to tell you, you know, I, I can see what's going on. Some of y'all are like going like, what's he doing? You know, what's he saying? I can't believe that. Okay. Well, well last week I shared with you um, the story of Jesus. Jesus is tucked away um, in a room with the disciples, and we, we, we taught out of John chapter 13. And uh, it was important for us to understand this story. And so Jesus is with his disciples. It's the last night of his life. And I shared with you, uh, I asked a question, what would you do if it was the last night of your life? And we all thought about different things that we would do. And, And I came to the conclusion and shared with you, Jesus decided to serve his friends he decided to undress and take a towel and to serve his friends. So, so in that story of John chapter 13, we see a huge example of what it means when Jesus teaches us how to love and how to serve one another. And we have a lot to learn about that. I don't know about you, but, but when, I, when I read that story of Jesus disrobing, taking a towel, washing, doing a dirty job, washing the feet of his friends, of the disciples. It, it really pierces deeply into my heart. And, and, I, and for me, it begs three questions. I don't know about you, but for me, um, it begs three questions. And the questions that it begs for me is, what kind of church will we be? When I say that capital C, church, what kind of church will we be? What kind of church do we want? And uh, what kind of church are we, are we hoping for? And I think that those are three huge questions that every Christian should ponder every day of their life. You know, uh, what kind of church do we want the Christian church to be? What kind of church do we want? What kind of church are we we hoping for? And those are uh, probably some of the most important questions that I think that we'll ask of ourselves and we'll reflect upon that in the years to come. Not just about what the church should be, but what the church could be. Because I think the church, just like we, is constantly growing. I think through God's grace, God is constantly, through a dynamic shift, drawing the church closer to God's heart. And I think that the church has not reached a level of perfection on earth. And I don't know that the church ever will reach a level of perfection on the earth. But God is constantly, just like he calls you and me, he is wooing the church into a deeper way of salvation. He's wooing the church into a deeper love for God and and love for one another. So I thought about those questions and and I just wanted to reflect a little bit today with you. And and the first thing that comes to my mind is I I want the church to be a family. I really believe that. Our staff has a culture here at St. Paul is we're not individuals. We're not silos. We don't compete. We don't work against each other. We do our best to create a family atmosphere. And I want the church to be a family. You know, I want a church that, that, that's bound together in love and devotion and, and pulled together by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's, that's, that's my hope, that's my dream, is that the church would be a family. Um, it, that's one of the things that I love about this church. When I came to, to be your pastor, um, uh, you know, eight and a half, eight and three quarter years ago, I could tell very quickly that first Sunday that I was here that this is a church that is filled with love that we are a church that actually loves each other, that, that we uh, strive to, to uh, honor and love and to promote um, uh, God within the lives of each other. And I sense that and continue to sense that. Uh, and, uh, and I've felt that ever since I've been here. A, a family is made up of all kinds of people, aren't, aren't they? Um, look at your family, look, I'll look at mine, we look at our church family, we can see all these things. There are uh, people in our family that are different colors, we're not all one color. We're, we're different colors. And within our families, we have uh, gators, okay? And within our family, we have seminoles. Yes, they have learned to live together in harmony. Um, in our family, we don't just have gators and seminoles here at St. Paul. We have uh, folks from Ohio State. Uh, we have folks from Michigan. We have folks from Indiana. Uh, I heard a hiss. I don't know. Was that toward Ohio State or... <laughs> But but what I'm trying to say is is that we're we're all one, and and the differences that we see, we we are a blend, we are a mix of people. Um, inside of our church family, uh, we also have all other kinds of family. We have people in our family who are deceitful. We have people in our family who are adulterers. We have people in our family who who have lied. We have people in our, in our family who, um, who are cheaters. We have people in our family who are gay. We have people in our church family who are straight. Uh, we have people who are gossipers in this church family. We have people who boast and think highly of themselves, more highly than they do of other people. And in our church, we, we also have people who struggle with addictions. But one of the things that I really love about St. Paul United Methodist Church is despite that we have all those kinds of people in our church, that we don't kick people out of our family because they're different. We, we find a way to love and, and, and that's what I truly believe. When I, when I look at the life of Jesus, I, I truly, truly believe that whatever, whatever our differences are, that Jesus says to find the commonality in him that he says that we find our unity in Jesus Christ. That's what a, that's what a family does. And, and families, listen, think about your own family, and I'll think about mine and the church family. We don't always understand each other, do we? We don't always make the same choices. We don't always ascribe to the same kinds of things. You make choices to do some things. I make choices to do others. And we see those differences that are there. But the one thing that we understand is at the end of the day, we're a family, And God calls us to be that, and I truly believe Jesus wants the church to be one complete family, the family of God. There are um, two generations of people, you've heard me talk about this, you can read any book that's written about church in the last uh, five five or ten years, and we'll tell you that there's two kinds of generations that just are not in our churches today. And uh, this isn't just my data. This is actual data of people, the Pew Institute and uh, Bill Eason and these guys that spend their whole life looking at demographics and data, uh, what's going on, what's right, what's wrong in our churches and all those things. And basically what they say, there are two generations of of individuals that are missing from our churches today. And mostly those those generations are younger than we. And if you take a look around our church today, you'll see, well, where are they? Um, we look at the second service, they're not really there either. So, um, And you take a look at the Baptist church and the Presbyterian church and the Catholic church and the Episcopal church and the non-denominational churches. No church has this generation thriving and full in their churches. So it really is the generations that are not in, represented within the Christian church today. And when they're asked the question, what is it about the church that you don't connect with and why aren't you there. It's really interesting. It it boils down to two things. The first thing that they say is, I have no problem with Jesus. In fact, I love Jesus is what they tell us. But what they then say is, but what I don't like is what goes on in the church. And, you know, we we can think about that for a second, like, wow, how could somebody say that? But if we really were to think about that, um, we would see that, that, that probably there's some um, pieces that come with that. And here are six things that the generations that aren't in church today, in our churches today, Here's six things that they say as to why they're not participating in the life of the Christian church. The first is they say that the church is self-seeking that the church seeks itself and it doesn't seek others. It says that the church is racist, that there's still racism going on in the life of our church. In fact, that mantra that you and I probably grew up with, that the most segregated hour in Christendom is 11 a.m. So, so they see the church as racist. They say the church is homophobic today. That, that we that we don't understand what it means for folks who, who are or who are gay and we don't understand and we, we want to hold everything against them. We we're homophobic. Says that the church is judgmental. They they look at they look at the church capital C and these are the struggles that they see. And they see and they say that the church finds itself they find the church to be hypocritical. That there are people in the church who are condemning and judging others while they're doing the same thing, but yet because they're church people, they say that they can do it uh, but others can't. And here's the last one. They say that they feel that the church is just downright boring. They say it's boring. And and you know what when I when I look at this list, let me tell you, I'm a pastor. And I look at this list, and, and, and i got to tell you, the first thing it does in me is I've got to hold myself back to not get angry, upset, or start pointing fingers or making excuses. I've got to take a step back, and I've got to say, I need to really understand what do they mean by this, because I know what God means to me, and I know what it means to live in the life of, Christians, of the Christian church. And if the generations that are my children's age, maybe your children or grandchildren's age, and um, if those generations see this as the church, it's no wonder Christianity now only has a third of the population of the world and is still declining. So we've got to wrestle with these things. And you know what? In order for us to really look at this, we've got to come to an answer. And that answer is you know what? They're right. They're right. The church is all those things. I'm your pastor and I'm saying to you that, that I realize that they're right. And, and the church is all of those things and we have to admit that and, and the only way that we're gonna be able to move forward together is to be able to admit all of the struggles that exist within God's church. Because once we admit the struggles, we put them out in the open, we can begin to start working together to to learn and to lead and to live into those things. Like I said, you know, we might not agree on this choice or that choice or this direction or that direction or whatever, but you know what? Uh, We can be at peace and we can be in harmony and be in unity as the church of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to listen to this statement, and and this statement is not intended for me to get up the ire of anybody, and I want you to listen to what I'm going to say about this before you judge me on it. But you know what? Um, The church is full of hypocrites. It is. In fact, if I were to ask the question, is there anyone in the room this morning who's not a hypocrite, raise your hand, I would think that the whole room is like me, it's going to hold their hand down. Because at some point in our life, we have been hypocrites, haven't we? So the hypocrisy that we live in is there, and and it's something that we just, we need to embrace who we are, we need to understand that in our family is all sorts of brokenness. And then once we understand the brokenness in our family, then we can move forward to build the unity that comes from that. Years ago, I pastored a church on the east coast of Florida, Uh, it was a little town called Lake Mary, the city of lakes. Lake Mary is huge now. In fact, it's one of the largest technological places, uh, places of technology for employment in, in, in Florida. And, uh, but it was a little, little town by then, and, and um, like most little towns, it had a, a barber shop. Now, this barbershop, it wasn't the greatest haircut, but you could go to this barber shop because everybody went there. And if you wanted to know what was going on in Lake Mary, you went to the barbershop. And and while you were there, you know, uh, you just kind of sat, kind of like Floyd and uh, you know, and all that stuff. You just kind of sat there and and you just listened to the chatter. And I got to tell you, it's it's funny, but we probably solved more community, uh, national, and world problems in that one barber shop than, than we could have anywhere else. Now Jim was the owner of the barber shop. Jim was the barber. He was my barber. Jim was a a member of First Baptist Church in Lake Mary. And Jim was proud of that. He was a Baptist. He was, he was proud of that. He knew, he knew I was a Methodist preacher. And uh, he used to cut up with me all the time. But Jim knew everybody. You know, when you're in that kind of vocation, you just know people, don't you? So Jim knew everybody. And that day I was there, this uh, couple came in, this, this uh, husband and wife, and they walked in. And uh, Jim looked at them and he said, I don't believe I know you folks. Are you new here to Lake Mary? And they said, yes, we are. And he said, Well, you're going to find Lake Mary to be just a great town to live in. You're going to love living here. And the woman said, Well, we'll see about that. (laughs) So Jim was the kind of personality that that really liked to um, break the ice a little bit more. So he is like pulling everything out of his pockets and trying to do everything he can to to make some sort of contact, make some sort of relationship um, with this uh, man and this woman who were there. And uh, finally, he just got to the point, he said, hey, if you're looking for a good church here in Lake Mary, uh, go to First Baptist Church. It's the best. And if you want the second best church, go to the Methodist Church. In fact, Bob right here is the preacher. And I'm, I'm just sitting there going, hey, gee, thanks, Jim, for throwing me under that bus, you know? And um, so, so the woman's response to that was, she said, we don't go to church because the church is full of hypocrites. That's what she said. And, um, you know, I, I thought about that for a second, and, and um, I, I told her, I said, um, you know what? I said, um, you know who the, the biggest hypocrite at my church is, don't you? And when I said that, it got real quiet in that barbershop. <laughs> Everybody was like leaning in, wanted to know who's he going to mention that. And I said, the biggest hypocrite in my church, ma'am, is me. And I, said, uh, and I said, you know, we, we've got to think about that, and, and, the, and I'm the biggest hypocrite. And, and why did I say that? Well, didn't the Apostle Paul tell us that? Paul said this. He said, I'm the chief among all sinners. The Apostle Paul, the one who planted the churches all throughout early Christendom, the one who is responsible for a third of our New Testament, the Apostle Paul said He was the chief amongst all sinners. In fact, he said, I'm the biggest sinner of them all. Paul. Paul said that. And I looked at the lady and I said, you know, I'm I'm the biggest hypocrite in my church, ma'am. And guess what? There's room for one more. Why don't you come join us? And uh, I won't tell you how that story ended. (laughs) She was a Baptist. (laughs) God lover. <laughs> well, when I read the story of Jesus and I read the encounters that he has with all the people that he met, um, I see the example of what I believe God wants the church to be. I see that and I hope you do too. I, I want a, a church that understands that, um, that we're all hypocrites. I want a church to understand that. I want a church that, that knows that you and I and all of us and anyone who comes through our doors, anyone that we meet in our community, anyone we see in the grocery store, that we are all in need of the grace of God. I believe that we all need the love of Jesus, and we are all in the, in the need of the grace of God. Um, I want a church like that. I want a church that really cares about people. I don't want a church that just superficially, hey, how you doing, and passes that. I want a church that deeply cares about one another. That when there's woundedness, when there's hurt, when there's strife, whatever the case is, that we, we move toward, not move away from, but move toward those hurts in life. That we come alongside people who are hurting. We come alongside the least, the lost, the lonely. That we live into the words of Jesus on the Sermon of the Mount. And that we become that kind of church. I want a church that, that lifts up Jesus as the hope of the world. I think that's so important that, that we, the church, it's not just about our own way of salvation. And if we think that that's it, then we're getting it wrong. But we need a church that lifts up the hope and the, and the presence of Jesus Christ in the world. You know, I discovered that when I say the word God Almighty, and I think about Almighty God, my mind cannot fathom or put around an understanding of who God truly is. Maybe some of you have that figured out. I don't. But to think about Almighty God, and and when I think about the word and the term and the title and the presence of Almighty God, let me tell you what, sometimes um, it's such a um, powerful thing that I'm not sure I can fully understand it. I mean, I I sit there and I think about the God who who created um, all things and how God created the heavens and earth as we see in the Genesis story. And then I think about how God selectively placed each individual star in the sky exactly where God wanted that to be. I can't fathom a God at all who does that. It's just too much. But what I can understand is I can understand Jesus, I can understand Jesus. I can understand God with skin on. I can understand Jesus because God came into this world both with divinity and humanity. We call it the incarnation. That's the big church word, the incarnation. And God, through Jesus, walked and dwelt among us. And we learn through the life of Jesus what that's all about. And one of the things that we learn about the life of Jesus and and the power of God is that when Jesus said, come follow me, And when we follow Jesus, we realize that we are on a path, a path that makes a difference into not only our own life, but a mission into the brokenness of the world in which we live. But most importantly, I can understand Jesus who said these words, when I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men, women, students, and children to myself. So when we lift up the name Jesus, all humanity is drawn under him. All humanity is, and that's what I want the church to be. I want the church to, to be a place where we, where we lift up the love of Jesus and proclaim that Jesus is the hope of the world, the hope of all the world. You know, when we think about it, people did lift up Jesus. They, they lifted him up, they stretched out his arms, and they placed him on a cross. And when they did that, Uh, We find out that on Calvary, that what Jesus did was he ended up pouring out his love upon all of us. And that love uh, covers a multitude of sins. In fact, it covers all sin. And he himself is ours. And he said that day, as he was on the cross, and as he was crucified, we came to understand that through his righteousness, through his sacrifice, that our sins of that day and every day in our sins of the future, all sins, that he has the power to cancel. And that because of that sacrifice, he's done that. He has proclaimed that truth. And that says to you and me that that we need to understand, but not just understand, we we need to believe that, that Jesus Christ died for our sins. I want a church that lifts up Jesus as the hope of the world. I want a a church who can pause and and also listen into some powerful words. And those powerful words are the words that that I shared with you last week in John's Gospel, chapter 13. Here, Here they are again. A new command I give you. When Jesus says, I give you a new command, I think we should listen, don't you? A new command. This is important, he said. This isn't just a suggestion. This is a command coming from God. And he says these words, love one another, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if, if you love one another. What he's saying here is that we can't be disciples if we choose not to love. And when I say choose to love, what I'm saying is is it can't be the cheap grace that I find myself giving sometimes, Remember when, when, when those times like, like me, like you, when, when we say to somebody, well, I forgive you, and then we're just still like rah, rah, in the back of our mind, or, or hey, I love you, and the minute they walk out the door, I'm like, isn't that the greatest fool you ever met? I mean, he says, if you love them the way I've loved you, then the world will know that you are my disciples. I was reading um, Andy Stanley's book, um, irresistible. Um, I think it's a great book, regardless of where you are on the spectrum of Old and New Testament, things like that. I just highly recommend you read it. Um, it's, it's a great read, and it's good wrestling uh, for you to have that. It's called Irresistible. And uh, I learned this last week. Uh, our small group is doing an irresistible study. And this last week in our, in our uh, fifth session, um, he said this, and I just, it just stayed with me. He says, whenever you're unsure what to say or do, ask what love requires of you. Whenever you're unsure of what to say or do, ask what love requires of you. And if you think about that, that is a profound statement. Whenever I don't know what to say, whenever I don't know what to do, then I need to ask myself, what does love require me to do? And friends, that's the kind of love that I think that, that we we, we call the church to be. Amidst our differences, amidst our complexities as a big family, amidst all the different directions that we see in our households and we see in our church and all those kind of things, that we find a way to come together in the midst of love.